You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 181, The Elevation of DEI in Los Angeles. Societal events of the past few years have many water utilities working to address diversity, equity, and inclusion within the workforce. The Los Angeles Department of Water and Power has established an Office of DEI that is focusing on an array of work and has a top executive that reports directly to the general manager rather than the Human Resources Department. These efforts are discussed in this podcast with Kathy Chavez-Morris, Utility Services Manager with the LADWP Office of DEI. Kathy talks about improvements in the areas of workforce, workplace, and marketplace. She also explains the opportunity to use historic levels of infrastructure funding to make progress on DEI. You're in the water loop. I am so glad to talk to you. I'm very interested in what's been happening, is happening out there in Los Angeles, uh, one of the biggest water utilities. Uh, I know you guys handle more than just the water side. What what sparked and led uh, to LA, the utility, creating an office focused on equity and water services? What's like the origin story of that? Yeah, it's a it's a great origin story, story and it ties both into the pandemic and um, to some of the racial justice conversations that were happening throughout the country. So in uh, June 2020, following demonstrations calling for racial justice, Mayor Garcetti signed Executive Directive 27 to study and promote racial equity in city departments. That led to the appointment of the first ever chief equity officer and then a mandate that the city and the departments within the city study racial disparities in both hiring, promotion, and contracting. So each city department was asked to appoint a racial equity officer and then develop a racial equity action plan. And we completed that plan in June of 2021 after extensive surveys, focus group interviews, and data analysis um, internally. And uh, some of the results of that particular plan um, showed us that within our workforce, only one in five employees identifies as a woman. Um, We had executive and senior management that were mostly white and male. We also found that people of color who were um, were usually employed as office clerical staff or skilled craft or in some type of a service maintenance position. And then we also saw some um, statistics that showed that uh, Latinos or Hispanics and African-American employees were identified as the two ethnic groups that had the highest representation within those particular sectors. Uh, There was also some clear evidence that both men and women were employed in very gender stereotypical employment roles with men overrepresented in skilled crafts, service maintenance and technician, technician and like professionals where women were overrepresented in office clerical positions with um, only one in five employees as identifying as a female. Those were pretty noticeable absences of women across the board. Right. And most concerning was the lack of skilled uh, women in skilled craft and service maintenance positions, uh, as well as senior management positions, with the latter being super, a super important metric for gauging gender uh, equity in the workplace. Mm. Uh, We also 
asked folks who were working for us, like, what is your lived experience, right? And uh, <clears throat> we asked that across gender and race, which was super important. And it did vary fairly widely as to be expected. Uh, our BIPOC employees, um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, uh, were and women's lived experiences were different than that of their colleagues uh, related to access of resources, promotional opportunities, and accountability. Wow. Uh, and then we did identify, yeah, we also identified within that, that document some of the focus areas that we wanted to, um, to implement uh, policies and projects within uh, to drive change, and that's education, workforce development, supplier diversity, community engagement, and equity, metri equity metrics. Uh, and then additionally within that document also called for the creation of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and then the appointment of a Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. Those were identified as critical steps to champion DEI policies and programs, and then that eventually became the office that I was employed by. Yeah, um, that's quite an extensive look at the kind of internal demographics and situation uh, that really, you know, spurred the creation of that office. Were there also uh, external factors, you know, out there in the community you serve that were helped to drive the creation of this office, you know, leading to improve kind of equity and so forth in the community? Yeah, so a community engagement is definitely a strong component of that. And I think that, um, you know, it is something that the department has gained greater traction on in the last couple of years um, prior to the pandemic. We have community engagement grants where we work with community partners to um, um, help kind of drive messages into communities that we have maybe had not had as much engagement with in the past. And that was actually part of the work that I did within the water system before I came to the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, mm. Following the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of discussion even about you know, the future of the organization and capital projects that we were investing in. And there's been quite a bit of conversation around how do we engage community partners in kind of that long-term planning and ensuring that uh, equity is something that is discussed uh, around infrastructure investments. And so we're excited to see more conversation about that happening at the federal level now with the, the you know, large amount of money that has been earmarked for infrastructure and specifically that money that has been set aside for utilities that are going to um, be authentically engaging communities that have been underserved in the past or have been excluded from conversations at the table because uh, that kind of community first and um, very authentic engagement with those communities is, is a necessity because it's the right thing to do, but also because there's a large amount of funding that is being dedicated strictly to utilities that are showing that their projects are not just um, um, doing no harm, but actively improving communities that have been left behind before. Mm. Wow. So you reside now in this brand new office. Well, I guess it's not brand new, but fairly new at this point. Uh, I'm really curious uh, what that office looks like, what it's responsible for, and of course, like what it's like for you uh, uh, to, to kind of be part of this. Yeah. So you're totally right. It is 
I do still feel like we're in our first year of establishment. It's it been a little longer than a year, uh, mm -hmm. but we are still hiring up. And so it's still our, our growth period. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're, we may count as just like, this might be like the toddler phase. Kind of. <laughs> but a, a lot of the work though, has, there's been a lot of work that's happened in this short period of time. And it's really been uh, diver, di uh, divided into three basic categories that a lot of DEI practitioners use to explain this work. And so everything we do pretty much falls into like three different buckets. It's workforce, workplace, and then marketplace. And I tend to describe the categories this way. Um, you know, workforce is how you hire employees, you know, who are you who you are hiring, like the assessment of how that process works, right? And then the results, the data that, that comes that uh, that is um, uh, that it, the data that comes from those hires, right? And that's the application process and hiring process. And then how employees that already work for us promote within our organization. So this can include targeted recruitment. It can be um, employee benefits like tuition reimbursement, career counseling, um, or something even like super progressive like exploring gender-coded words and job descriptions. Mm. Um, basically, this is the recruitment and retention side of the work that we do. For the workplace, this includes uh, like basically what the daily experience is of an employee. So, you know, how does an employee feel um, authentically themselves? Do they feel valued, heard, and seen um, for the multiple multiple identities that they hold? And then this includes also creating like policies and practices that support that whole person and all their identities. So, like a really great example, I always like to um, bring to the table is. You know, I'm a cisgender, straight, Hispanic woman with multiple degrees in science, right? That's a lot of identities. But I'm also <laughs> a caregiver to children and an elderly parent. So that's like my caregiver identity is like a whole other side of me, right? That I absolutely do bring to work because it is part of my whole authentic self, right? Sure. Um, yeah. And, that's, and so that's an important thing that employers have to kind of acknowledge are these multitude of identities that employees have. So um, this work also includes, you know, evaluating the culture of an organization. And then, you know, I think this is where, you know, and, and how can you implement uh, policies and practices that help to um, make sure that folks identities feel heard, valued and seen. And I think that's the thing that utilities struggle with the most when wrapping their head around DEI, because uh, culture really does eat policy for breakfast. So you could have a lot of policies and programs in place, but if the culture of the organization really isn't reflecting, um, you know, that corporate culture that you want to establish, right? If the, if the corporate culture is not supporting, excuse me, the policies and the programs that you're putting in place, then it, it's not really going to be a successful program. So you really have to have the culture there to kind of support all of those policies and programs. And, you know, companies that don't establish corporate values or norms that reinforce um, equitable experiences for BIPOC employees or for women or female employees, you know, that can result in attrition of your workforce. And so that's money that is embedded in each human that walks out that door. And so there's some, you know, not only strong social cases for why we want to look at culture in an organization, but also some pretty strong financial cases for why it's important to look at that as well. Mm -hmm. And then last, the marketplace, which kind of speaks to your previous question about 
community engagement. You know, Marketplace is everything from supplier diversity to community engagement. It can be targeted outreach to small businesses, right, or and diverse contractors, or partnerships with community-based organizations. And with a strategic approach, it can result in underserved communities experiencing higher employment and economic investment that can really transform communities that have been historically left behind. Well, a lot of fascinating aspects to what you said. And I love the point you made, there's a business case for a lot of this type of work, right? And that's that's really key uh, for utilities to remember. You, you talked about a lot of things that you're up to, a lot of things you're doing. Are there any other specific initiatives, projects that you want to mention, especially maybe that are coming up or you're working toward? Yeah. So, you know, even though we're in our infancy, I guess. Uh, <laughs> your, to your toddler here, stage. We established your toddler. toddler but we've done a lot of work over the last year. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why we've been um, super successful is sort of the structure of our organization. Hmm. So it's really important to note that the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion actually oversees human resources. And that's a really unique approach to DEI work, um, where a director reports, uh, where a director typically, um, DEI director typically reports to like an HR chief. But at LADWP, we have a chief DEI officer that reports directly to the general manager. So that's a, a very different structure. And I think that it's been very beneficial for us. And it's something that I think um, other organizations and utilities could, you know, probably look at as a, a case study. Additionally, we also have a five all-female board of commissioners, and that, those commissioners are business owners, entrepreneurs, caregivers, and advocates. And unlike other utility boards, where um, they are, you know, they are genuinely interested in uh, introducing board resolutions that advance all three of these areas, right? In addition to overseeing the general operational work that's happening, these, you know, DEI has been explicitly like important. They've, they've expressed interest in seeing that this advance. And, you know, we're very grateful for their support. Um, but there's, because we've got these multiple routes, which is wonderful, we're able to utilize and identify opportunities and implement practices and policies in probably a way that most utilities don't have the ability to do. Um, because we do have both the operational side or the you know the GM side and the Board of Commissioners support on all of this. So this is a really wonderful position to be in. So some of the work that we've done to date um, has been both you know workforce, workplace, um, and mm -hmm. marketplace. So one of the um, proud moments that we had, one of our first initiatives was the development of employee resource groups. So we did not have employee resource groups here at the department prior to the development of this office. We did have some professional resource groups that were had formed mostly around engineering positions. So SHIP, which is the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. We also had um, NSB and SWEET, which are a representative of both um, African-American community and women, right, who are in engineering positions. But uh, we knew that it was really important to develop employee resource groups so once again, folks could feel valued and seen based on an identity that is not professionally related. And so from that, we were able to develop the um, an AANHPI uh, employee resource group, which serves the Asian American community, an LGBTQIA resource group that is um, still in its creation, it's still in its formation, but it's gaining some more traction. And the last one that I, I want to mention is PACT, which is Parents and Caregivers Together. Uh, one of the other 
um, initiatives that we had was improving our lactation rooms. Our lactation rooms were, were great, but they definitely needed improvement. And we now offer lactation rooms that not just offer, you know, a safe space for mothers to pump and support for them, but we have a lactation consultant on staff. We offer mobile pumps and stationary pumps that folks can take home to utilize for themselves or for a partner or for somebody in their life that needs to pump. Uh, we have snacks that improve milk production, and then we also offer pump supplies on the property. So if somebody needs something and they don't have something that's sterile, they can go and seek that supply. Uh, we are in the midst of also developing a parental leave policy, uh, and that is going to be uh, amazing uh, because the city the city's just identified or just piloted one, and we are going to be falling in line, but really trying to build upon the, that pilot program and um, we've identified some gaps that we want to fill, and it looks like we're going to be able to offer something probably even better that, than what typical city employees are able to experience, which is wonderful. Um, we just launched an inaugural Women's Career and Wellness Expo. We had 2,000 employees, sorry, 2,000 attendees exploring utility careers, including uh, careers where women are underrepresented right now. And so that was amazing. It was our first one, and we, you know, prayed we would get like 800 people, and we got 2,000. So wow. it was, yeah, it was, it was great, and it was a testament, I think, to the idea that folks realize that utility jobs, right, are, are there's a lot going to be a lot of growth in utility jobs, and I think folks realize that good paying um, positions that are union represented are really, you know, essential to taking care of family, right? And taking, providing uh, financial stability, right? And so I think that uh, folks were eager to come out and find out more about those positions. Uh, we have some relationships now with HBCUs. We have an annual HBCU virtual internship that we uh, sponsor. We now produce women in trades videos. So uh, someone can, you know, look, get more information about a position that is filled by a woman and get her perspective of what that job is like. And then um, we, from a marketplace perspective, uh, we're really proud of one of the board introduced resolutions, which is a shutoff resolution. Um, DWP will be, and, and this is all still being formulated, but the resolution is in place, but that we're going to be practicing, um, we're going to halt the practice, excuse me, of water and power shutoffs as a debt collection tool for residents that are within our um, special um, our special discount programs, right? Because they qualify based on um, on some type of uh, income qualification. Mm -hmm. um, then, and what we're also going to do to uh, our senior citizen lifeline discount program, and we're really kind of bearing in mind the fact that during uh, these really uh, kind of you know, these big weather events that we're all experiencing, I think, throughout the nation, right? There's yep. these, like, huge swings in weather events, right? It's either, like, a deluge of water or it's just incredibly hot. And oftentimes here in Los Angeles, we have communities that are, you know, during the summertime are incredibly hot. There are also communities that may not have as much shade. There are folks who desperately need, during these critical moments, the ability to depend on you know, air conditioning, right, and and water, and so uh, you know the board recognized that there that this was a, a crisis and wanted to intervene. So we're we're grateful for that, and so that's just some of the samples of some of the initiatives and projects that we have in place.
uh, I mean, for a toddler, you're already running, <laughs> you know, like that's a, that's a, that's an incredible amount of, of programs, initiatives, actions. That's, that's impressive for just with less than a year. Way to go. Um, I really want to, yeah, I, I want to really just ask uh, kind of like a couple part wrap up question, but what lessons have you learned, uh, through setting this up? Um, and, you know, and then I want to ask about advice for others. It's almost kind of two parts, but could you kind of start tackling that? I'm really curious, uh, yeah, what you've learned through this experience. So I think that, um, when, when people ask me, like, what is that, like, you know, how do you do this? And like, what, you know, what is that? Like, how do you, how do you make something successful? And by the way, thank you for telling me that we are so successful because sometimes it feels like, uh, it's a, it's a journey, right? And that's sure. kind of where I'm going to go with this. Is that when people tell me, you know, how do I make this happen and quickly, I always tell them that this work is really moving at the speed of trust. Mm. And, um, and as you can imagine, that is a very slow speed, right? Mm. But it's one that um, incrementally builds on itself, right? And that's important because this work requires allyship and partnership. And oftentimes, folks think that this is a zero sum game approach to like equity and it's not right. It's, this is a type of work where, you know, everybody comes to the table and we rely on allies and we rely on partners and uh, we rely on folks to sit in discomfort through just, you know, difficult conversations about race and gender. And it's important that, um, you know, that as practitioners, we create safe spaces for folks all across the spectrum of, you know, their DEI journey um, to be able to talk about where they're at, what their lived experience has been. And then, you know, the safe space also for folks who've always been at the table, right? And now are just kind of realizing that their experience is not a shared experience and that there may be some un unearned privilege that they can now leverage to create access and safe space for others. And so ultimately, you know, this movement can be so, can feel so minute. And sometimes I think I know, I personally think, wow, we should, we're only here and we should be here. But I always have to <laughs> remind myself that it's, you know, not a sprint, that it's a marathon and that these incremental changes are meaningful and strategic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you all are, again, one of the biggest utilities out there, right? And you've got this office stood up, uh, a good bit of resources dedicated to this, a lot of, you know, power behind it, if you will, the people in authority. Other utilities around the country are kind of starting this journey, thinking about going on this journey, Um what advice, other than pick up the phone and call you and get all your secrets, what what advice would you have for others out there that are looking to kind of go down the same path? Yeah, so um, I know that, you know, my, uh, my journey to this, you know, into this work, because my background is in science and hmm. uh, I have a bachelor in geological science and a master's in environmental studies. So this wasn't something that I necessarily... Um, was trained on right until I, I sought out the training which happened during the pandemic you know i had a lot of time during the pandemic to be able to dedicate to 
learning more about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think a lot of folks who work for utilities um, are like me. They come from some type of a technical background or a science background, right? And so they just don't have that. This wasn't mm. something that was taught to us in school necessarily, right? Especially if you're older like me. And so I um, went out and I sought that training through some educational institutions that have some wonderful programs such as um, Harvard and Cornell. So I encourage folks on a personal level to try to seek out that uh, training and, and for utilities to support those employees that are doing that. Because uh, I think sometimes utilities may look and only want to invest in technical training, but really this mm. falls into the development of employees, um, you know, on a, on a management level or on a, on, you know, an, a different type of skill set that may not be technical, but is essential. Um, one of the things I also encourage for folks as individuals working for a utility to do is to look at a great guidebook that the EPAs, EPAs put out about how water utilities should be serving as anchor institutions, uh, because we as utilities have the potential to positively influence the social, economic, and environmental well-being of the communities that we serve. And that really explores the idea that we serve more than water, that we serve tremendous opportunities to communities that have had decades, experienced decades of disenfranchisement. Mm. Um, and then lastly, as a utility, I think it's really important that um, we all uh, you know, acknowledge that the United States is like experiencing this once in a generation wave of infrastructure investment, right, at like the perfect time. Um, it's really a historic surge of funding, including, you know, 1.2 trillion uh, investment infrastructure and jobs act money, uh, 437 uh, billion for uh, from the climate portion of the Inflation Reduction Act, and then another 1.9 trillion in flexible discretionary funding from the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, the stimulus package. So that represents an enormous opportunity to ensure that infrastructure and benefit uh, infrastructure investments are benefiting communities that have been underserved or intentionally overlooked in the past. Right? These funds are going to be super competitive, right? Because there are certain set asides like the Justice Forty funds, right? that are um, earmarked so that they benefit those communities. And so utilities need to start exploring how their long-term capital projects impact communities, right? Because, you know, you know, they need to start assessing, you know, you know, not just if, you know, not just determining that the projects aren't exacerbating the struggles of the communities that they are serving, but that they're actively engaging, partnering with, and improving the lives of those communities that have been previously left behind. And so mm. that's going to be super important. Well, you are uh, going down that path there in Los Angeles. It's really exciting to see. I look forward to following you as you get to preschool and grade school and you know uh, young adulthood and so forth. It's, it's going to be a great journey. Kathy, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.